for joining me for Quite Excellent, episode number 31. Today I'll be reading Charles Bukowski's poem, Defining the Magic, which comes to me from a good friend and Reed High School teacher, Terry DeBarger, but can be found in the world, published in Bukowski's 1996 collection, Betting on the Muse. Before we get to Charles Bukowski, though, let's talk about last week's poem, Not Bad, Dad, Not Bad, from Jan Heller-Levi. I really love this poem. It uses an extended metaphor to look back as an adult on how a teenager may perceive their parents and how our perception when young is so limited. This poem is both sad and hopeful, and everything that works in it comes down to being able to compare past and present to the subjective personal experience and the objective reality when we can distance ourselves from our emotions just a little bit. This is not an especially easy thing to do ever, and I know from experience it is even harder to do when you're young. Here's the poem. Not bad, Dad. Not bad. Jan Heller Levi. I think you were most yourself when you were swimming. Slicing the water with each stroke, the funny way you breathe, your mouth cocked as though you're yawning. You're neither fantastic nor miserable at getting from here to there. You wouldn't win any medals, Dad. But you wouldn't drown. I think how different everything might have been had I judged your loving like I judged your side stroke, your butterfly, your Australian crawl. But I always thought I was drowning in that icy ocean between us. I always thought you were moving too slowly to save me when you were moving as fast as you can. Students understood this poem well. Part of this is that the poem lends itself to comprehension without a bizarre title or a strange fantasy world or experiences that are too outside what my students themselves have probably experienced. But the other part is that my students made clear connections within the text to build an understanding of the whole. The majority of these responses were sensibly about the relationship at the heart of the poem between the speaker and the father. Although students didn't identify it by name, this poem presents two distinct perspectives. The one that is specifically being described in the present tense, the adult speaker, who is looking at their father swimming and reflecting on their history together. And the other perspective that is implied, the the speaker as a young person whose relationship with their father is so strained. It is in the difference between these two perspectives that helps students identify the meanings offered by the poem. A few students noted that the implied younger speaker saw their father without hero worship, and that feels typical of children. We associate children with that view of their parents. The student notes that the dad was not, quote, some larger-than-life figure as many kids perceive their parents to be. Instead, the relationship is described as distant uh, by many of my students, with one student saying it feels almost professional. This emotional distance between the two has a lot to do with the young speaker's perception of their father's failing, with a number of students inferring that there must have been either many failures or at least one consequential failure to create this rift. Although I don't think the poem gives us enough specifics to know either for sure, students were being fair to say that the father was managing to do just enough to avoid being a failure, even if the young speaker didn't realize this. This just-enoughness only comes as a reflection on the part of the adult speaker. This is the actual voice of the poem, so I'll just refer to them as the speaker moving forward. Students repeatedly noted how the speaker points to the father's ability to avoid drowning while swimming as a metaphor for the father's ability to love and parent. It pointed to them 
at the speaker's ability to see their father as someone who was always trying, even if their performance was never something that would win any awards. This is what the text is saying pretty explicitly, but students built on this to interpret these statements as more than just observations of past and present. Instead, my students consistently identified an appreciative tone on the part of the speaker, even if they didn't always use the term tone by name. One noted the belated appreciation at the end of the poem. Another notes that the speaker did, quote, not just recognize what their father did, but was appreciative and proud of what was only just now being realized. Another stated that the speaker was, quote, proud of the father despite him not being good enough to win medals because the father kept trying his best. Not all of the students read the speaker's tone as so fully positive, however. A few commented that there was regret in having not noticed the father's efforts earlier, especially when the poem remarks how different everything might have been if the speaker had been more generous to the efforts the father had been making. A couple actually suggested that the distance between the two family members might be permanent, with it being too late to mend their differences. Thankfully, uh, an equal number of my students said this distance was only the perception of the speaker and not the reality. The literary element most frequently explored in these responses were from students examining the interpretive richness of the water and the swimming of the father. As has been noted already, the swimming of the father demonstrated how adequate the father was in parenting. But one student noted that just as the father is just swimming to survive, to avoid drowning, so too the father consistently never stops loving. Another student pointed to the idea of the speaker judging the father's loving like his swimming, and how this suggests the speaker could have, if they had worked harder, seen the actions of the father as if they were totally apparent. Water being transparent allows the body to be entirely visible, even when submerged, especially in a pool. And it seems like the speaker wishes they had had this clarity about their father when they were younger. Another equally clever read of the swimming is from a student who notes that the father's swimming reflects him as a person, slicing the water with funny, yawning breaths. The student states that, quote, this imperfect activity describes him as imperfect as a parent as well. But aren't we all? And this was one of the big top-level takeaways, that this is a poem about recognizing that nobody is perfect. And many students said as much. One of these said that children nitpick how their parents aren't doing enough, while the effort being put in should matter, even when parents aren't as successful as we want them to be. This text, for another student, applied more broadly. They say that people in general often take for granted those who are closest to them, focusing only on the most obvious achievements and not on their not-so-obvious efforts. One of the readings that stayed with me was a student who said they believed the poem to be an elegy for the father, who had died. While the father does appear to still be alive in the poem, the poem does use the present tense to describe him swimming, I think this isn't an altogether incorrect reading. An elegy is a poem of serious emotional reflection, often about the death of someone. It's a poem of mourning, essentially. While the father hasn't died, I do think that there is a bit of a somber reflection here, of the relationship that could have been but never was. We can't be sure that the father is to blame for not doing enough, or if the child is responsible for not giving the parent enough credit. The answer could even be both. But there is room for mourning here. But I don't think that this is a poem fully of mourning, because there is humor here as well. 
The second stanza's observation is that you're neither fantastic nor miserable at getting from here to there. You wouldn't win any medals, Dad, but you wouldn't drown. Presents a, a realistic portrait of the father. But also, I think, it is delivered with a smirk, offering the two extremes of swimming as award-winning and drowning. It is kind of silly, given that most people probably operate in between, myself included. And there's also that small aside where the speaker pauses to say, Dad. It feels mocking and playful, like the speaker is giving their dad a hard time. And then there's the title. Again, we have that mocking dad in the middle of it, but the father is not bad at both swimming and parenting is kind of an understatement. It's called lightities, actually, where you assert the positive by negating the opposite. Here, the speaker says the, the father is pretty good by saying he isn't the opposite. And re by repeating it twice, it feels like the kind of appreciative understatement that comes in films or TV where a person had been consistently undervalued and finally achieved something whose value cannot be denied. Or someone who has previously been maybe an antagonist says, okay, yeah, not bad, when they're actually pretty impressed. It is a moment meant to give the audience the warm fuzzies. For me, it succeeds. Now, our next poem is Defining the Magic by Charles Bukowski. I shared a poem by an author named Dennis Smith with my friend Terry a week ago. That poem, titled My Poems, is fantastic, but also not even close to being mildly appropriate for class. Sorry, students. But it expressed the kind of ideas that defining the magic does, about what poetry is and who it is for and what it can do. This is actually part of a whole genre of poems, writing about poetry. These often use the title Ars Poetica, which means art of poetry. Ars Poetica poems are often celebratory, and while some of the more classic examples are about how poetry is capable of creating art, more modern versions, like this one, stretch the idea of what poetry is into more figurative spaces. And because this is a poem about what poetry is, I thought our secret passphrase should be related to something specific to poetry as well. For this week, the secret passphrase is once again a piece of punctuation, this time the forward slash. The only time this punctuation mark is ever really used effectively in analysis, in my opinion, is when used with poetry, because it is used to identify where line breaks originally were in a poem. When you quote from Defining the Magic in your paragraphs this week, be sure to delete the line breaks when you copy and paste material from the poem and replace them with forward slashes. This indicates where those line breaks originally were. Here's this week's poem. Defining the Magic, Charles Bukowski. A good poem is like a cold beer when you need it. A good poem is a hot turkey sandwich when you're hungry. A good poem is a gun when the mob corners you. A good poem is something that allows you to walk through the streets of death. A good poem can make death melt like hot butter. A good poem can frame agony and hang it on a wall. A good poem can let your feet touch china. A good poem can make a broken mind fly. A good poem can let you shake hands with Mozart. A good poem can let you shoot craps with the devil and win. A good poem can do almost anything. And most important, 
A good poem knows when to stop. Students, be sure to use the forward slash whenever there is a line break that is part of your quote. For example, you might say that a good poem knows when to slash stop, or that you can shoot craps slash with the devil slash and win. You have to get rid of the line breaks in the quotations to do this. This is how you keep your paragraph looking like an actual paragraph. Because this is a poem from a poet about poetry, we can actually treat the poet like the voice of the poem this week, if we like. So we can stop using the speaker, but this time. And we don't need to use stanza, because this is all one stanza, but you still need to put the title of the poem in quotation marks. This is required always. Remember to complete your paragraph-length responses by Wednesday, September 30th, and two replies to the responses of your peers by the Friday that ends the week. Your paragraph-length response should always include a tag and make a claim in the opening sentence or two. Then support that claim with quotations from the poem and commentary that explains how those quotations support your claim. Be sure to read the assignment instructions for a full breakdown of the expectations. If you enjoy this podcast, have suggestions, or would like me to direct an eye toward a particular poem or poetic device, leave a comment on lightandteaches.com or on Twitter. I am at lightandteaches. The content of this podcast is used as a companion to class instructional activities, and ownership of these texts remain with their stated authors. Thank you for joining me for episode 31 of this podcast. I hope that between now and the next time you hear from me, you discover and savor a few things that you yourself find quite 